Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. Website is www.scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, this morning is one of those strange uh, recordings or podcasts that I had no intentions or plans of doing. Um, but we're going to take a look at the book of Esther uh, again, but this time out of the Septuagint. Uh, I had a listener on the comments say, hey, you should check out the Septuagint version. There's even some more information in there. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, you know, there's many canon, Bible canons around the world. There's many manuscripts and different Bible canons based on where you're from. The Ethiopian Bible is different. For a matter of fact, the Ethiopian Bible includes the Book of Enoch. You've got the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is some of the most predominant evidence uh, that we have. That includes multiple books um, that are not quote-unquote canonized, um, like Enoch, like many, many manuscripts of the Book of Jubilees, um, like uh, some of the Testaments of the Patriarchs, things like that, plus almost fragments from every canonized Bible book, uh, which happen to match up. But there's manuscripts all over the world, and one of the most popular translations of the Bible during the time of Jesus was the was the Greek Bible, the Septuagint. Uh, most Christians at that time didn't speak Hebrew. You know, you still had some Hebrew being used by by religious Jews. For example, Paul would have known Hebrew, um, probably would have been fluent in it. But your Greek and uh, Gentile Christians would would not have known Hebrew, and they would have been reading. The Septuagint, and the Septuagint is one of the more quoted versions of the Bible by, say, early church fathers, especially those with a Greek background. I say all that just to say that it's the Septuagint is considered, a, has been throughout the ages, considered a, a, a trustworthy and relevant version of the Bible. I'm not going to get into all the aspects of translation and, and Hebrew and all those things. Mostly because I don't like getting into arguments with with people who predominantly, when I get into these conversations, is somebody who's just got an emotional attachment to an idea or an ideology or theology or a pet doctrine. They, but when it comes to manuscripts and actually reading Hebrew and these kind of things, they don't really know what they're talking about a lot of the time. So I'm not going to get into that. But I just wanted to start reading some of this. I only read the first half of the first chapter and was like, okay, this is this has got some different information. I don't know how far we'll get this morning, but I wanted to just lay some of it out there for all of you. And uh, if we don't get through all of it this morning and I decide I want to stop, feel free to look it up online or grab yourself. Uh, if you have a copy, I have a copy of the Septuagint. This is what it looks like if you're watching the YouTube version of this. Um, it's from the Ancient Researchers Library, which is such an important library to own, and it's so affordable, so uh, you can get these on Amazon. This is the version that I have my Apocrypha out of. Um, there's Church Fathers. There's the Septuagint. Uh, for anybody who wants to be a Bible scholar, uh, just, just a critical volume of books to own. So anyway... With all that said, I'm going to just start reading. I don't know what all to expect, but uh, I'll just tell you right off the bat, the very first chapter of Esther starts with Mordecai having a vision, which is not what's in our regular Bible. So I just thought, wow, that's interesting. Um, he's having a, having a weird vision about some terrible things coming. Also, to note, the names are obviously going to be different because they're they're you know Greek, basically. Um, as opposed to Hebraic. Um, so just be aware of that, that the names are going to sound a little different. Anyway, that's enough uh, introduction. Um, let's dig right in. I really hope you've enjoyed this study this week. I'll just say that uh, to end. I, I'd, or before I get started, I hope you've enjoyed this study. I've put a lot of work into it, a lot more time this week. And uh, hopefully you appreciate it and that it's, it's being a blessing to all of you. All right. I'm going to turn on the voice recorder now, and uh, we're going to go straight into reading the book of Esther from the Septuagint. We'll see how far we get. The book of Esther from the Septuagint, chapter 1. 
in the second year of the reign of Artaxerxes, the great king on the first day of Nisan, Mordecaius, the son of Jerias, the son of Simeas, the son of Caiaphas, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew dwelling in the city of Susa, a great man serving in the king's palace saw a vision. Now he was of a captivity which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried from Jerusalem with Jeconias, the king of Judah. And this was his dream. Behold, voices and noises and thunders and earthquakes tumult upon the earth. And behold, two great serpents came forth, both ready for conflict. And there came from them a great voice, and by their voice every nation was prepared for battle, even to fight against the nation of the just. And behold, a day of darkness and blackness, tribulation and anguish, affection and tumult upon the earth. And all the righteous nation was troubled, fearing for their own afflictions. And they prepared to die and cried to God. From, the cry, from their cry there came, as it were, a great river, from a little fountain, even much water. And light and the sun arose, and the lowly were exalted and devoured the honorable. And Mordecai, who had seen this vision and what God desired to do, having awoke, kept it in his heart and desired by all means to interpret it, even till night. And Mordecai rested quiet in the palace with Gabatha and Tharatha, the king's two chamberlains, eunuchs who guarded the palace. And he heard their reasoning and searched out their plans and learnt that they were preparing to lay hands on king Artaxerxes. And he informed the king concerning them, and the king examined the two chamberlains, and they confessed and were ex executed, and the king wrote these things for a memorial. Also Mordecai wrote concerning these matters, and the king commanded Mordecai to attend in the palace and give gifts for this service. And Amon, the son of Amadathides, the Bejan, was honorable in the sight of the king, and endowed to hurt Mordecai and his people because of the two chamberlains of the king. And it came to pass, after these things in the days of Artaxerxes, this Artaxerxes ruled over a hundred and twenty-seven provinces from India. In those days when King Artaxerxes was on the throne in the city of Susa, the third year of his reign, he made a feast to his friends and the other nations and to the nobles of the Persians and Medes and the chief of the satraps. And after this, he had shown them the wealth of his kingdom and the abundant glory of his wealth during a hundred and eight days during 180 days. When I say the days of the marriage feast were completed, the king made a banquet to the nations who were present in the six cities, in the city six days, in the court of the king's house, which was adorned with hangings of fine linen and flax on cords and on fine linen and purple, fastened to golden and silver studs, on pillars of panorama marble and stone. There were golden and silver couches on the pavement of emerald stone, and of pearl, and of Persian stone, and open worked coverings variously flowered, having roses worked round about, gold and silver cups, and small cup of carbuncle carb set out of the value of thirty thousand talents, abundant and sweet wine, which the king himself drank. And this banquet was not according to the appointed law, but so the king would have it. And he charged his stewards to perform his will, and that of the company also. Aston, the queen, made a banquet for the women in the palace where king Artaxes dwelt. Now, on the seventh day, the king, being merry, told Amon, and Bazan, and Thurtha, and Barzi, and Zarholotha, and Abatazah, and Tharabah, the seven chamberlains, servants of king Artaxes, to bring the queen to him, to enthrone her and crown her with a diadem, and to show her to the princes and her beauty to the nations, for she was beautiful. But Queen Aston hearkened not to him to come with the chamberlains, so the king was grieved and angered. And he said to his friends, Thus has Aston spoken, pronounced therefore upon this case law and judgment. 
Sarcases, and Sarsathetes, and Milaser, and the princes of Persians and Medes, who were near the king, who sat chief in the rank by the king, drew near to him, and reported to him according to the laws how it was proper to do to Queen Aston, because she had not done the things commanded of the king by the chamberlains. And Micasus said to the king, and to the princes, Queen Aston, has not wronged the king only, but also all the king's rulers and princes, for he has told them the words of the queen, and how she disobeyed the king. As then said he, she refused to obey king or taxis. To this day shall the other ladies of the chiefs of the Persians and Medes, having heard what she said to the king, dare in the same way to dishonor their husbands. Then it seemed good to the king, let him take, make a royal decree, and let it be written according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, and let him not alter it, and let not the queen come in to him any more, and let the king give her royalty to a woman better than she, and let the law of the king, which she shall have made, be widely proclaimed in his kingdom. And so shall all the women give honor to their husbands, from the poor even to the rich, and the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Micasus had said, and sent into all the kingdoms through the several provinces according to their language, in order that men might be feared in their own houses. And so that's the opening chapter out of the Septuagint. And as you can see, it's considerably different. You'll forgive me of my mispronunciation and struggles that I'm having with some of the names, as they are not typically what I'm used to reading. Um, and even when I do studies of the ancient text, I'm always doing Hebraic, not Greek. So, strong in Hebraic, very weak in the Greek. So please forgive me if you're strong in Greek and you hear me just butchering some of these things. But hopefully you can look past the, the reading failures and you're just gathering all kinds of additional information. It should be clear to you by now that obviously those who put the Septuagint together used a different manuscript than what's being used in your, say, King James Bible. There's, Like I said, there's multiple manuscripts out there, and when these books are put together, when they're canonized, which the Septuagint was really the very first canonization of all this, usually it was just you had shelves of scrolls with all kinds of different scrolls on them. There, there was no like rule, well, this counts and this doesn't count. You'd had all these scrolls, all these records, all these historical documents. And then they started canonizing them, and the Septuagint is really like the first version of that. And uh, you'll have to check me on this, because I haven't looked it up, but I want to say the Septuagint included 70 books, not 60. Uh, you'll look me up on that to confirm that. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Nevertheless, let's continue our study. Hopefully, hopefully you're enjoying it. Ready for chapter 2 here. Chapter 2. And after this, the king's anger was pacified, and he no more mentioned Aston, bearing in mind what she had said, and how he had condemned her. Then the servants of the king said, Let there be sought for the king, chastened and beautiful young virgins. And let the king appoint local governors in all the provinces of his kingdom, and let them select fair and chaste, or chaste young damsels, and bring them to the city Susa, into the women's apartments, and let them be co-signed to the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, and let things be for purification and other attendance to be given to them. And let the women who shall please the king be queen instead of Aston. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now, there was a Jew in the city Susa, and his name was Mordecaius, the son of Jerias, the son of Simeus, the son of Siasus, the tribe of Benjamin, who had been brought a prisoner from Jerusalem, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried into captivity. And he had a foster child, daughter of Abinadab, his father's brother, and her name was Esther. And when her parents were dead, he brought her up for a wife for himself and the damsel was beautiful. And because the king's ordinance was published, many damsels were gathered to the city Susa under the hand of Gai. And Esther was brought to Gai, the keeper of the women. And the damsel pleased him, and she found favor in his sight, 
and he hastened to give her the things of purification and of her portion. And the seven maidens appointed her out of the palace and treated her and her maidens well in the women's apartment. But Esther discovered not her family nor her kindred, for Mattachias had charged her not to tell. But Mordecai used to walk every day by the women's court to see what would become of Esther. Now this was the time for a virgin to go into the king, when she should have fulfilled twelve months. For so are the days of purification fulfilled, six months while they are anointing themselves with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and women's purifications. And when the damsel goes into the king, and the officers whomsoever he shall give the command will bring her to come in with him from the women's apartment to the king's chamber. She enters the evening, and in the morning she departs the second women's apartment, where Gaia the king's chamberlain is keeper of the women, and she goes not to the king again unless she should be called by name. And when the time was fulfilled for Esther, the daughter of Abinadab, the brother of Mordecai's father, to go into the king, she neglected nothing which the chamberlain, the women's keeper, commanded. For Esther found grace in the sight of all that looked upon her. So Esther went in to King Artaxes in the twelfth month, which is Adar, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther. She found favor behind, beyond all the other virgins. And he put on her the queen's crown. And the king made a banquet for all his friends and great men for seven days and highly celebrated the marriage of Esther. And he made a release to those who were under his dominion. But Mordecai served in the palace. Now Esther had not discovered her kindred. For so Mordecai commanded her to fear God and perform his commandments, as when she was with him. And Esther changed not her manner of life. And the two chamberlains of the king, the chiefs of the bodyguard, were grieved because Mordecai was promoted. And they sought to kill King Artaxes. And the matter was discovered, and Mordecai, and he made it known to Esther, and she declared it to the kings, the matter of conspiracy, and the king examined the two chamberlains, and hanged them, and the king gave orders to make a note for memorial in the royal records of the good offices of Mordecai as a condemnation. So that's the end of chapter 2. Interesting that they mention this story twice about Mordecai, um basically outing the the guys trying to kill the king right and unless they're trying to say it happened twice unfortunately i don't have time to to keep going back and examine it uh at first glance it looks like it's just kind of a re-mention of what's going on there so esther has now become queen she went through the purification everybody loved her she's beautiful i thought it was interesting that uh says that mordecai was going to bring her up for as a wife for himself um where did I read that part at? And he had a foster child, daughter of Abinadab, and his father, father's brother, and her name was Esther. And when her parents were dead, he brought her up for a wife for himself. And the damsel was beautiful. That doesn't mean anything bad or evil is going on there. It's just a different mindset, a different culture. One example is if you had a husband and your husband died, your the husband's brother, if he was not married... Uh, was by law to marry the widow and raise up children in, her, in his brother's stead. There's just a different view of how these things were to take place. So try not to put your Western American eyes and ears and feelings into the text, as that can sometimes corrupt the viewpoint, which would be improper. All right, 15 minutes in, we've only done two chapters. All right, let's get to chapter three here. And after this, King Artaxes highly honored Amon, son of Methodus, and began, and exalted him, and set him a seat above all his friends. And all of the, in the palace did him obstinance, for so the king had given orders to do. But Mordecaius did not do him obstinance. And they in the king's palace said to Mordecaius, Mordecaius, why dost thou not? Why dost thou transgress the commandments of the king? Thus they spoke daily to him, but he hearkened not unto them. So they represented to Amon that Mordecai resisted the commands of the king, and Mordecai had shown to them that he was a Jew. And when Amon understood that Mordecai did not absence to him, he was greatly enraged, and he took counsel to destroy utterly all the Jews who were under the rule of Artaxes. And he made a decree in the twelfth year of the reign of Artaxes, 
and cast lots daily and monthly to slay in one day the race of Mordecaius. And the lot fell on the fourteenth day of the month, which is Adar. And he spoke to King Artaxi, saying, There is a nation scattered among the nations in all thy kingdom, and their laws differ from those all of other nations, and they disobey the laws of the king. And it is not expedient for the king to let them alone. If it seem good to the king, let me make a decree to destroy them, and I will remit into the king's treasury ten thousand talents of silver. And the king took off his ring and gave it to the hands of Amon to seal the decrees against the Jews. And the king said to Amon, Keep the silver and treat the nation as thou wilt. So the king's records were called in the first month of the thirteenth day. And they wrote as Amon commanded to the captains and governors in every province from India even to Ethiopia to a hundred and twenty-seven provinces and to the rulers of the nations according to their several languages in the name of the king Artaxes. And the message was sent by post throughout the kingdom of Artaxes to destroy utterly the race of the Jews on the first day of the twelfth month, which is Adar, and to plunder their goods. And the following is a copy of the letter. The great king Artaxes writes thus to the rulers and inferior governors of a hundred and twenty-seven provinces from India even to Ethiopia, who hold authority under him, ruling over many nations and having obtained dominion over the whole world. I was minded not elated by the confidence of power, but ever conducting myself with great moderation and gentleness, to make the lives of my subjects continually tranquil, desiring both to maintain the kingdom quiet and orderly to its utmost limits, and to restore the peace desired by all men. But when I had inquired of my counselors how this should be brought to pass, Amon, who excels in soundness of judgment among us, and has been manifestly well inclined without wavering, and with unshaken fidelity, he had obtained the second post in the kingdom and informed us that a certain ill-disposed people is mixed up with all the tribes throughout the world, opposed in their law to every other nation, and continually neglecting the commands of the king, so that the united government blamelessly administered by us is not quietly established. Having then conceived that this nation, alone of all others, is continually set in opposition to every man, introducing as a charge a foreign code of laws, and jurously plotting to accomplish the worst of evils against our interest and against the happy establishment of the monarchy, we signify to you, in the letter written by Amon, who was set over the public affairs, and is our second governor, to destroy them all utterly with their wives and their children by the swords of the enemies without pitying or sparing any. On the fourteenth day of the twelfth month, Adar, of the present year, that the people aforetime and now ill-disposed to us having been violently consigned to death in one day, may hereafter secure us to continually as well-constituted and quiet state of affairs. And the copies of the letters were published in every province. An order was given to all the nations to be ready against that day. And the business was hastened that Susa, the king, and Amon began to drink. But the city was troubled. Alright, so that's the end of the third chapter. Interesting, in this version of Esther, it includes a copy of the letter that was sent out, right? And it kind of lends more understanding and uh, interpretation of what's happening, right? Because in our previous study, we just know a letter was sent out. In this study, it says a letter was sent out that says, don't spare any of these people. Kill every man, woman, and child on this day. And that really brings it home to the severity of what's going on here, right? It really lends a lot more like, oh man, this is a serious, serious problem serious serious issue that they're facing there's literally letters imagine this happening in your own kingdom in your own country these letters going out saying okay these people if you identify them murder them them and their whole families terrifying right it's also important to note that this is always true with God's people that we are a thorn in the sides of the nations because we refuse to capitulate to their wickedness. We, comp- we refuse to celebrate their evil. We refuse, you know, to, to worship their ideas and their, and their false gods. And so this is, this is such. This is just the way it is until New Jerusalem is here and we all live in New Jerusalem. But until then, 
We are outsiders when we will be hated the majority of the time. All right, let's go to chapter four. Chapter four. But Mordecai, having perceived what was done, rent his garments and put on sackcloth and sprinkled dust upon himself and having rushed forth through the open street of the city and he cried with a loud voice, A nation that has done no wrong is going to be destroyed. And he came to the king's gate and stood, for it was not lawful for him to enter the palace wearing sackcloth and ashes. And in every province where the letters were published, there was crying and lamenting and great mourning on the part of the Jews. They spread for themselves sackcloth and ashes. And the queen's maids and the chamberlains went and told her. And when she had heard what was done, she was disturbed. And she sent to clothe Mordecai and take away his sackcloth, but he consented not. So Esther called for the chamberlain, Archetheus, who waited upon her. And he sent to learn the truth from Mordecai. And Mordecai showed him what was done and the, and the promise which Amon had made the king of ten thousand talents to be paid unto the treasury that he might destroy the Jews. And he gave him the copy of the writing that was published in Susa concerning their destruction to show Esther. And he told him to charge her to go in and entreat the king and to beg him for the people, remembering, said he, the days of how thy low estate, how thou were nursed by my hand, because Amon, who holds the next place to the king, has spoken against us for death. Do thou call upon the Lord and speak the king concerning us to deliver us from death. We need to pause for a second. Because in our version, there is no mention of God at all, right? We know that she prays and we know that she puts on sackcloth, but there's never a mention of the Lord or God or uh, Jehovah, none, none of that. And here, what, do we, what does it say? Uh, in verse 8, it looks like, Do thou call upon the Lord and speak to the king concerning us to deliver us from death? Interesting. Continuing on, verse 9. And Archetheus went and told her all these words. And Esther said to Archetheus, Go to Morakitis and say, All the nations of the empire know that whoever, man or woman, shall go into the king, into the inner court, uncalled, that person cannot live. Only to whomsoever the king shall stretch out his golden scepter, he shall live. And I have not been called to go into the king for these thirty days. And Archetheus reported to Mordecai all the words of Esther. Then Mordecai said to Archetheus, Go and say to her, Esther, say not to thyself that thou alone wilt escape the kingdom more than all the other Jews. For if thou shalt refuse to hearken on this occasion, help and protect will be to the Jews from another quarter, but thou and thy father's house will perish. And who knows if thou hast been made queen for this very occasion? And Esther sent the man that came to her to Mordecai, saying, Go, and assemble the Jews that are in Susa, and fast ye for me, and eat not and drink not for three days, night and day. And I also and my maidens will fast, and then I will go into the king contrary to the law, even if I must die. So Mordecai went and did all that Esther commanded him, and he besought the Lord making mention of all the works of the Lord. And he said, Lord God, King, ruler of all, for all things are in thy power, and there is no one that shall oppose thee in thy purpose, save Israel. For thou hast made the heaven and the earth and every wonderful thing in the world under heaven, and thou art Lord of all, and there is no one who shall resist thee, Lord. Thou knowest all things, thou knowest, Lord, that it is not in insolence, nor haughtiness, nor love of glory that I have done this, to refuse obstinance to the haughty Amon. For I would have gladly kissed the soles of his feet for the safety of Israel, but I have done this that I might not see the glory of man above the glory of God, and I will not worship anyone except thee, my Lord. And I will not do these things in haughtiness, and now, O Lord, God, King, the God of Abraham, spare thy people, for our enemies are looking upon us to our destruction, and they have desire to destroy thy ancient inheritance. Do not overlook thy peculiar people, whom thou hast redeemed for thyself out of the land of Egypt. 
hearken to my prayer and be prosperous propodus to thine inheritance and turn our mourning into gladness that we may live and sing praise to thy name O lord and do not utterly destroy the mouth of them that praise thee O lord and all israel cried with all their might for death was before their eyes and queen esther betook herself for refuge to the lord being taken as it were in the agony of death and having taken off her glorious apparel she put on garments of distress and mourning and instead of grand perfume, she filled her head with ashes and dung. And she greatly brought down her body, and she filled every place of her glad adorning with the torn corals of her hair. And she besought the Lord of Israel and said, O my Lord, thou alone art their king. Help me who am destitute and have no helper but thee. For my danger is near at hand, and I have heard from my birth in the tribe of my kingdom that thou, Lord, took us Israel out of the nations and our fathers out of the kindred for a perpetual inheritance and has wrought for them all that thou hast said. And now we have sinned before thee and thou hast delivered us into the hands of our enemies because we have honored their gods. Thou art righteous, O Lord. But now they have been contented with bitterness of our slavery but have laid their hands on the hands of their idols in order to abolish the decree of thy mouth and utterly destroy thine inheritance and to stop the mouth of them that praise thee and to extinguish the glory of thine house and thine altar and to open the mouth of the Gentiles to speak the praise of vanities in order that a mortal king should be admired forever. O Lord, do not resign thy scepter to them that are not and let them not laugh at our fall but turn their counsel against themselves and make an example of him who has begun to inquire us. Remember us, O Lord, manifest thyself in the time of our affliction and encourage me, O King of gods, the ruler of all dominion, put harmonious speech into my mouth before the lion and turn his heart to hate him that fights against us, to utter destruction of him that consent with him. But deliver us by the hand, and help me, who am destitute, and have not but the Lord. Thou knowest all things, and knowest that I hate the glory of transgressors, and that I abhor the couch of uncircumcised and every stranger. Thou knowest my necessity, for I abhor the symbol of my proud station, which is upon my head in the days of my splendor. I abhor the mistress cloth, and I wear it not in the day of my tranquility. And thy handmaid has not eaten at the table of Amon, and have not honored the banquet of the king. Neither have I drunk wine of the libations. Neither has my handmaid rejoiced since the day of my promotion until now except in thee. O Lord God of Abraham, O God who has power over all, hearken to the voice of the desperate, and deliver us from the hand of them that devise mischief, and deliver me from my fear. Wow. So chapter four is loaded, isn't it? First of all, we can throw out the window about God not being mentioning, at least as far as this manuscript's concerned, because we have the entire prayer of Mordecai who goes on to say, look, if I had known that what I was doing to Haman was going to lead to this, I would have kissed his feet. But I did what I did because I don't believe that I should be bowing down before men. I should only be bowing down before you, Lord. No mistake in who they're talking about. They're talking about the Lord God of Abraham. It says it more than once. Esther, and I brought this up in our study on Friday to remind you that, hey, she was queen. She was living in luxury. According to the Septuagint, this queen took off all her royal garments, took all of her perfumes off, put ashes on her head, put garments of mourning on, and even went as far as to put dung in her hair. Okay. Has there ever been a queen, a ruler in all the history of the world who has ever humbled herself more than Queen Esther? Something to think about. I'm going to say doubtful. Doubtful that you would ever find a ruler today who would humble themselves before God at such a level. And she goes as far as to repent on behalf of her people, not just ask for help, but repent also. And say, look, we have, you know, we've lived amongst these people and we're guilty of idol worship. You know, forgive us of that. 
But she says, and this is a prayer that I've been praying for the last year or so, as I've shared with you guys, that the enemies would fall into their own snares, right? They'd fall into their own traps, that this evil that they have planned for us, that they would fall into that. She prays and asks that as well. Which, as we know from the story, essentially is what happens to Haman, right? All right, we've gotten through four. Can we finish this this morning? Still a lot to read. All right, let's do chapter five. And it came to pass on the third day, when she had ceased praying, she put off her mean dress and put on her glorious apparel. And being splendidly arrayed and having called upon God, the overseer, and the preserver of all things, she took her two maids, and she leaned upon one as a delicate female, and the other followed bearing her train. And she was blooming in the perfection of her beauty, and her face was cheerful, and it was benevolent. But her heart was straitened with fear, and having passed through all the doors, she stood before the king. And he was sitting upon his royal throne, and he had put on all his glorious apparel covered with all gold and precious stones, and was very terrible. And having raised his face, resplendent with glory, he looked with intense anger, and the queen fell and changed her colors as she fainted. And she bowed herself upon the head of the maid that went before, but God changed the spirit of the king's gentleness." That's an important line. According to the Septuagint here, Esther goes before the king and he's angered about it. But God, you see, Esther had been fasting and praying for three days. And so God, what does the scripture say? God controls the king's path, controls his heart, paraphrasing. But God changed the spirit of the king's gentleness and the intense feeling he sprang from his throne and he took her into his arms until she recovered. And he comforted her with peaceable words and she, he said to her, What is the matter, Esther? I am thy brother. Be of good cheer and thou shalt not die for our command is openly declared to thee, draw nigh. And having raised the golden scepter, he laid it upon her neck and embraced her. And said, Speak to me. And she said to him, I saw thee, my Lord, as an angel of God, and my heart was troubled for fear of thy glory. For thou, my Lord, art to be wondered at, and thy face is full of grace. And while she was speaking, she fainted and fell. Then the king was troubled, and all his servants comforted her. And the king said, What will thou, Esther, and what is thy request? Ask even up to half my kingdom, and it shall be thine. Okay, I just have to note that all this information is making more sense as to why he's like offering her half the kingdom, right? He's severely worried about her. She's clearly distressed. She's fainting, right? And we know that he loves her because that's he chose. That's one of the reasons he chose her. And Esther said, "Today is my great day. If then it seemed good to the king." Let both him and Amon come to the feast which I will prepare this day. And the king said, Hasten Amon hither, that we may perform the word of Esther. So they both came to the feast which Esther had spoken. And at the banquet the king said to Esther, What is thy request, Queen Esther? Speak, and thou shalt have all that thy request. And she said, My request and my petition are, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, let the king and Amon come again tomorrow to the feast which I shall prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do the same. So Amon went out from the king, very glad and merry. But when Amon saw Mordecai the Jew in the court, he was greatly enraged. And having gone into his own house, he called his friends, his wife Zorsa. And he showed them his wealth and his glory, which the king had invested him, and how he had caused him to take precedence and bear chief rule over the king. And Amon said, The queen has called no one to the feast but the king but me, and I am invited tomorrow. But these things pledge, please me not while I see Mordecai the Jew in the court. And Zorsara, his wife, and his friends said to him, Let there be gallows made for three of fifty cubits. And in the morning do thou speak to the king, and let Mordecai be hanged on the gallows. But do thou go into the feast with the king, and be merry. And the saying pleased Amon, and the gallows were prepared. Alright, that's the end of chapter 5. Everything is consistent with what's in our 
King James Bible, we just have more information, it seems. So, same story. He builds the gallow to hang Mordecai on it. He's planning on telling the king about it. Let's move on to chapter 6. Chapter 6. But the Lord removed sleep from the king that night, and he told his servants to bring in the books, the registers of daily events to read to him. And he found the records written concerning Mordecai as how he had told the king concerning the two chamberlains of the king when they were keeping guard and sought to lay hands on our taxis. And the king said, What honor or favor have we done for Mordecai? And the king's servant said, Thou hast done nothing to him. And while the king was inquiring about the kindness of Mordecai, behold, Amon was in the court. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Amon was come to speak to the king that he should hang Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared. And the king's servant said, Behold, Amon stands in the court. And the king said, Call him. And the king said to Amon, What shall I do to a man whom I wish to honor? And Amon said within himself, Whom would the king honor but myself? And he said to the king, As for the man whom the king wishes to honor, let the king's servants bring the robe of fine linen with the king's, that the king puts on, and the horse on which the king rides, and let him give one of the king's noble friends, and let them array the man whom the king loves, and let them mount him on the horse, and proclaim through the street of the city, saying, Thus shall it be done to every man whom the king honors. And the king said to Amon, Thou hast well said, So do to Mordecai the Jew who waits in the palace, and let not a word of thou that hast spoken be neglected. So Amon took the robe and the horse, and arrayed Mordecai, and mounted him on the horse, and went through the street of the city, and proclaimed, saying, Thus shall it be to every man whom the king wishes to honor. And Mordecai returned to the palace, but Amon went home mourning, and having his head covered. And Amon related the events that had befallen him to Zarsara, his wife, and his friends, and his friends and his wife, and he said to him, If Mordecai be of a race of the Jews, and thou hast begun to humble before him, thou wilt surely fall, and thou wilt not be able to withstand him, for the living God is with him. While they were yet speaking, the chamberlains arrived to hasten Amon to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Chapter 7 so the king and Amon went to the drink with the queen, went to drink with the queen, and the king said to Esther at the banquet on the second day, What is it, Queen Esther? And what is thy request, and what is thy petition? And it shall be done for thee to the half of my kingdom. And she answered and said, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, let my life be granted for my petition and my people to my request, for both I and my people are sold for destruction and pillage and slavery. Both we and our children are for bonded for bondmen and for bondwomen, and I consented not to it, for the slander is not worthy of the king's palace. And the king said, Who is this that has dared to do this thing? And Esther said, The adversary is Amon, this wicked man. Then Amon was troubled before the king and the queen, and the king rose up from the banquet to go into the garden. And Amon began to entreat the queen, for he saw that he was in an evil case. And the king returned from the gardens, and Amon had fallen upon the bed and treated the queen. And the king said, Will thou even force my wife in my house? And when Amon heard it, he changed countenance. And Bagathon, one of the chamberlains, said to the king, Behold, Amon has also prepared a gallows for Mordecai, who spoke concerning the king, and a gallows of fifty cubits high has been set in the premises of Amon. And the king said, Let him be hanged thereon. So Amon was hanged on the gallows that had been prepared for Mordecai, and the king's wrath was appeased. That's the end of seven. All right, so that was that chapter was nearly exactly the same, pretty close. So we've got chapter eight and chapter nine, where we're just going to go ahead and finish it. We're 40 minutes in. It looks like we're going to be approaching close to an hour for today's podcast, which those of you who listen to my podcast know that's very unusual for me. But I pray you've been blessed this morning. I just, I just felt led to to do this, and uh, so three days of Esther this week to celebrate Purim. I guess we've done it right. Maybe we can make this a tradition. All right, let's dig into chapter eight, verse one. And in that day, King Artaxes gave to Esther all that belonged to Amon the slanderer, and Mordecai. Mordecai was called by the king 
For Esther had shown that he was related to her, and the king took the ring which he had taken away from Amon and gave it to Mordecaius, and Esther appointed Mordecaius over all that had been in Amon's. And she spoke yet again to the king, and fell at his feet, and besought him to do away with the mischief of Amon, and that all had been done against the Jews. Then the king stretched out to Esther the golden scepter, and Esther arose to stand near the king. And Esther said, If it seemed good to thee, and I have found favor in thy sight, let an order be sent out that the letters sent by Amon may be reversed, that were written for the destruction of the Jews who are in thy kingdom. For how shall I be able to look upon the affliction of my people, and how shall I be able to survive the destruction of my kindred? And the king said to Esther, If I have given and freely granted thee all that was Amon's, and hanged him on a gallows, because he laid his hands upon the Jews, what dost thou ye further seek? Write ye also in my name, as it seems good to you, and seal it with my ring. For whatever orders are written at the command of the king, and sealed my ring, it is not lawful to gainsay them. In other words, he's saying, you're going to have to write another thing, because you can't, whatever's been written can't be reversed. So the scribes were called in the first month, which is Nisan, on the three and twentieth day of the same year. And the orders were written to the Jews, whatever the king had commanded to the local governors and chiefs of the state satraps from India even to Ethiopia, a hundred and twenty-seven satraps, according to several provinces, according to their dialects. And when they were written by order of the king and sealed with the king's ring, and they sent the letters by the post, wherein he charged them to use their own laws in every city and to help each other and to treat their adversaries and those who attacked them as they pleased. On one day in all the kingdom of our taxis, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is Adar. And let copies be posted in conspicuous places throughout the kingdom and let all the Jews be ready against this day to fight against their enemies. And the following copies of the letters, and the following is the copy of the letter of the orders. The great king Artaxes sends greeting to the rulers and provinces in 127 satrapies from India to Ethiopia, even to those who are faithful to our interest. Many who have been frequently honored by our most abundant kindness of their benefactors have conceived ambitious designs and not only endeavored to hurt our subjects, but moreover not being able to bear prosperity, and they also endeavor to plot against their own benefactors. And they not only would utterly abolish gratitude from among men, but also elated by the boastings of men who are strangers to all that is good. They suppressed. They suppose that they shall escape the sin-hating vengeance of the ever-seen God. And often this evil exhortation has been partakers of the guilt-shedding innocent blood and has involved in irremediable calamities. Many of those whom have been appointed officers of authority, who have been entrusted with the management of their friends' affairs, while men by false sophistry of an evil disposition have deceived the simple condor of the ruling powers. And it is possible to see this, not so much from more ancient traditionary accounts, it is as immediately as in your power, to see it by examining what things have been wickedly perpetuated, by the baseness of men unworthy holding power, and it is right to take heed with regard to the future, that we may maintain the governments in undistributed peace of all men, adopting needful change and ever judging those cases which come from under our notices, with truly equitable decision. For whereas Amon and Mordecai, the son of Amithides, a relity a reality an alien from the blood of the Persians and differing wildly from our mild course of governments, having been hospitable, entertained by us, obtained so large a share of our universal kindness as to be called our father and to continue the persons next to the royal throne. Reverenced of all, he, however, overcame by his pride of his station, endeavored to deprive us of our dominion and our life, having by various and subtle artifices demanded for the destruction both Mordecaius, our deliverer and perpetual benefactor, and Esther, the blameless consort of our kingdom, with their whole nation. By these methods he thought to have surprised us in defenseless state, to transfer the dimension of the Persians to the Macedonians. But we find that the Jews, who have been co-signed to destruction by the most abominable of men, are not malefactors, but living according to the justice laws and being the sons of the living God. 
the Most High and Mighty who maintains the kingdom. To us all well, as to our forefathers, the most excellent order, ye will therefore do well in refusing to obey this letter sent by Amon, the son of Amethodes, because he that has done these things has been hanged with his whole family at the gates of Susa, Almighty God having swiftly returned to him a worthy recompense. We enjoin you then, having openly published a copy of this letter in every place, to give the Jews permission to use their own lawful customs and to strengthen them. That on the thirteenth of the twelfth month, Adar, on the selfsame day, they may defend themselves against those who attack them in a time of affliction. For in the place of destruction of the chosen race, Almighty God has granted them this time of gladness. Do you therefore also, among your noble feasts, keep a distinct day with all festivities, that both now and hereafter it may be a day of deliverance to us, and who are well disposed toward Persians? but to those that plotted against us a memorial of destruction. And in every city and province collectively which shall not do accordingly shall be consumed with vengeance by spear and fire, and it shall be made not only inaccessible to men, but most hateful to wild beasts and birds forever. And let the copies, of, copies be posted in conspicuous places throughout all the kingdom, and let all the Jews be ready against this day to fight against their enemies. So the horsemen went forth, and hastened to perform the king's commands, and the ordinances was also published in Susa. And Mordecai went forth, robed in royal apparel, and wearing a golden crown, and a diadem of fine purple linen. And the people in Susa saw it and rejoiced. And the Jews had light and gladness in every city and province, wherever the ordinances was published, wherever the proclamation took place. And the Jews had joy and gladness, feasting and myrrh, and many of the Gentiles were circumcised and became Jews for fear of the Jews. And that's chapter 8. So we've got one more chapter to read. Chapter 8 included the actual letter that was sent out saying, hey, you would do well to ignore the letter of Haman. And the Jews, you have every right to defend yourself, so be prepared to do that. And of course, like it says in our canonized version of Esther, that um, Haman, or not Haman, but Mordecai became, you know, very powerful, and that many Gentiles, because of their fear of the Jews, decided to become Jews. Man, let that be so in our day. That there would be a fear of God, and a fear of God's people, and that people would turn away from their wicked ways, and repent, and give honor to God's people once more. And when I say God's people, I'm not speaking of a bloodline. I'm speaking of those who have trusted in Messiah. All right. One more chapter. We have approximately, what, like 30 verses? Oh, I guess we have two chapters, but they're both short. About 40 verses to read. And then we will have completed the study of Purim. And we will have done a complete study, to say the least. All right, let's read chapter 9 and 10, about 40 more verses, and we'll be done. Chapter 9 and 10. For in a twelfth month, on the thirteenth day of the month, which is Adar, the letters written by the king arrived, and that day the adversaries of the Jews perished. For no one resisted through fear of them, for the chiefs of the satraps and the princes of the royal scribes honored the Jews, for fear of Mordecai lay upon them. For the order of the king was in force, and that he should be celebrated in all the kingdoms. And in the city of Susa, the Jews slew 500 men, both Pharnaces and Delphon and Fasca and Fardatha and Bira and, and Sarbaca and Marsamiah and Raphias and Arceus and Zebathias and ten sons of Amon, the sons of Amathides, the Begayan. The enemy of the Jews and they plundered their property the same day. And the number of them that perished in Susa was rendered to the king. And the king said to Esther, The Jews have slain five hundred men in the city of Susa. And how thinkest thou? Have they used them in the rest of the country? What then thou dost ask that it may be done for thee? And Esther said to the king, Let it be granted to the Jews, so to treat them tomorrow as to hand the ten sons of Ammon. And permitted, to do, to, and permitted it to be done. And he gave up the Jews of the city of the bodies of the sons of Ammon to be hanged. 
And Jews established in Susa on the fourteenth day of Adar and slew three hundred men, but plundered no property. And the rest of the Jews who were in the kingdom assembled and helped one another and obtained the rest of their enemies, for they destroyed fifteen thousand of them on the thirteenth day of Adar and took no spoil. And they rested on the fourteenth of the same month and kept it as a day of rest with joy and gladness. And the Jews in the city of Susa assembled also on the fourteenth day and rested. And they kept also the fifteenth day with joy and gladness. On this account, then, it was that the Jews dispersed in every foreign land, kept the fourteenth of Adar as a holy day with joy, sending portions each to his neighbor. And Mordecai wrote these things in a book and sent them to the Jews, as many as were in the kingdom of Artaxes, both them and that were near to them that were far off, to establish these as joyful days and to keep the fourteenth day and the fifteenth of Adar. For on these days the Jews obtained rest from their enemies. And as to the month, which was Adar, in which a charge was made for them, from mourning to joy, from sorrow to a good day, to spend the whole of it in good days of feasting and gladness, sending portions to their friends and to the poor. And the Jews consented to this according to as Mordecai wrote to him, showing how Amon the son of Amathides, the Macedonian, fought against them how he had made a decree and cast lots to destroy them utterly. Also it went in to the king, telling him telling him to hang Mordecai. But all the calamities he tried to bring upon the Jews came upon himself, and he was hanged and his children. Therefore these days were called Fure, or Purim is what we call it, right? Because of the lots, for in their language they called, are called Fure. Because of the words of this letter, and because of all the day they suffered on this account, and all that happened to them. And Mordecai established it. And the Jews took upon themselves, and upon their seed, and rose that were joined to them to observe it. Neither would they on any account behave differently. But these days were to be a memorial kept in every generation, in the city, and family, and province. And these days of Puri said they shall be kept forever and the memorial shall not fail in any generation. So as you can see, even in the Septuagint version, the Feast of Purim is asked to be kept throughout every generation. And Queen Esther, the daughter of Abinadab, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote all that they had done in a confirmation of the letter of Puri. And Mordecai and Esther, the queen, appointed a fast for themselves privately, even at that time also having performed their plan against their own health. And Esther established it by a command forever, and it was written for a memorial. Chapter 10, last 10 verses or so. And the king levied a tax upon his kingdom, both by land and sea, and as far as his strength and valor, and the wealth and glory of his kingdom, behold, they are written in the book of the Persians and Medes for a memorial. And Mordecai was a viscery to the king Artaxes, and was a great man in the kingdom and honored by the Jews, and passed his life beloved of all his nation. And Mordecai said, These things have been done of God. For I remember the dream which I had concerning these matters. For not one particular of them has failed. There was the little fountain which became a river, and there was a light in the sun and much water. The river is Esther, and the king married, a maid queen. And the two serpents are I and Ammon. And the nations that are those nations that combine to destroy the name of the Jews. But as for my nation, this is Israel, even they that cried to God were delivered. For the God, Lord God delivered his people, and the Lord rescued us out of all these calamities. And God brought such signs and great wonders that have not been done among the nations. Therefore did he ordain two lots, one for the people of God and one for the other nations. And these two lots came for the appointed season and for the day of judgment before God and for all the nations. And God remembered his people and vindicated his inheritance. And they shall observe these days in the month of Adar and the fourteenth and then the fifteenth day of the month with the assembly and joy and gladness before God throughout the generations. Forever among his people Israel. And the fourth year of the reign of Plotimus and Cleopatra, Dothius, who said he was a priest and a Levite, Polemius, his son, brought this epistle of Purim, which they said was the same. And Lumachus, the son of Polemius, that was in Jerusalem, had interpreted it.
That is the Book of Esther according to the Septuagint. Man, uh, I just want to thank that listener who recommended uh, that we read t- or study it. Um, I agree. That was definitely worth taking an hour to go over, and I'm glad we did. I hope you've been blessed. Um, please consider supporting this mission of truth. Support has been down significantly over the last 12 to 14 months, and so your support is much appreciated. Uh, your prayers are even more important, so please be praying for the podcast. And and uh, we need to take a lesson out of this book and humble ourselves before God on a more regular base, making fasting and, and humbling ourselves a, a more frequent discipline in our Christian walk. Because more than ever, do we need a moment like this where God intervenes and turns things on its head. Thanks for listening, friends. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.